All right, you little Turks. This is the Christmas special. I'm reading from a Christmas carol. All right? I'm going to start under halfway. Now, where was I? So he's already been uh, with the ghost of Christmas past, and now he's, he's about to meet the next ghost. Now, being prepared for almost anything, Scrooge was not by any means prepared for nothing, and consequently, when the bell struck one and no shape appeared, it was, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling, Five minutes, ten minutes, a quarter of an hour went by, yet (coughs) (coughs) nothing came. (coughs) All this time, he lay upon his bed, the very core and center of a blaze of ruddy light, which streamed upon it when the clock proclaimed the hour in which, being only light, was more alarming than a dozen ghosts, as he was powerless to make out what it meant or would be at, and was sometimes apprehensive that he might be at that very moment an interesting case of spontaneous combustion, without having the consolation of knowing it. At last, however, he began to think, as you or I would have thought at first, for it is always the person not in the predicament who knows what ought to have been done in it and would unquestionably have done it too at last. I say, Scrooge began to think that the source and secret of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room, from whence, on further tracing it, it seemed to shine. This idea, taking full possession of his mind, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called to him by name and bade him enter. He obeyed. It was Scrooge's very own room. There was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back the light as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there, and such a mighty blaze roaring up the chimney as that dull petrification of a hearth had never known in Scrooge's time, or Marley's for that many, many a winter season gone. Heaped up upon the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, Geese, game, poultry, brawn, and great joints of meat, suckling pig, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears. This is frozen solid, Ethan. Immense twelfth cakes and seething bowls of punch. These made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy estate, upon his couch, there sat a jolly giant, 
uh, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn and held it up, high up, to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. Come in, exclaimed the ghost. Come in, and know me better, man. Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before this spirit. He was not the dogged Scrooge he had been, and though his eyes were clear and kind, he did not like to meet them. You want to see the picture, Lauren? There's the ghost. See all the food? There's Scrooge in his slippers and his stockings and his, his dressing gown. Right here, with the flaming torch. I thought that was a giant. It is. It's a giant and a ghost. I am the ghost of Christmas present, said the spirit. Look upon me. Scrooge reverently did so. The spirit was clothed in one simple deep green robe or mantle bordered with white fur. His dark brown curly hair was long and free. Free as in, as its genial, as his uh, genial face, its sparkling eye, its open hand, its cherry voice, its unconstrained demeanor and its joyful air. Gird around its middle was an antique scabbard but no sword was in it, and the ancient sheath was eaten up with rust. You have never seen the like of me before, exclaimed the spirit. Never, Scrooge made answer to it. Have never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning, for I am very young, my elder brothers born in these later years, pursued the phantom. I don't think I have, said Scrooge. I am afraid I have not. Have you had many brothers, spirit? More than 1,800, said the ghost. A tremendous family to provide for, muttered Scrooge. The ghost of Christmas present rose. Spirit, said Scrooge submissively. Con <coughs> Excuse me. Conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion and learnt a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. Holly, mistletoe, red berries, ivy, turkeys, geese, game, poultry, broad meat, pig, sausage, oysters, pies, puddings, fruits, and punch all vanished instantly. So did the room, the fire, the ruddy glow, the hour of night and they stood in the city streets on Christmas morning where, for the weather was severe, the people made a rough but brisk and not unpleasant kind of music in scraping the snow from the pavement in front of their dwellings and from the tops of their houses, whence it was mad delight to the boys to see it come plumbing down into the road and splitting into artificial little snowstorms. The house fronts looked black enough and the windows blacker, contrasting with the smooth white sheet of snow upon the roofs, and with the dirtier snow upon the ground, which last deposit had been plowed up in deep furrows by the heavy wheels of carts and wagons, furrows that crossed and recrossed each other hundreds of times 
And where the great streets branched off and made intricate channels hard to trace in the thick yellow mud and icy water. The sky was gloomy and the shortest streets were choked up with a dingy mist. Half thawed, half frozen, whose heavier particles descended in a shower of sooty atoms. As if all the chimneys in Great Britain had, by one consent, caught fire and were blazing away to their dear heart's content. The people who were shoveling away at the housetops were jovial and full of glee, calling out to one another. Here you go, Lauren. From, from the poulterers' shops, which were still half open, and the fruiterers who were radiant in their glory. There were great round pot-bellied baskets of chestnuts, shaped like the waistcoats of jolly old gentlemen, lolling at the doors and tumbling out into the streets in their apocalyptic opulence. There were ruddy, brown-faced, broad-girthed Spanish onions shining in the fatness of their growth, like Spanish friars, and winking from their shelves in wanton slyness at the girls as they went by, and glanced demurely at the hung-up mistletoe. There were pears and apples clustered high in blooming pyramids. There were bunches of grapes made in the shopkeeper's benevolence to dangle from conspicuous hooks the people's mouths might water gratis as they passed. There were piles of filberts, mossy and brown, recalling in their fragrance ancient walks among the woods and pleasant shuffling, shufflings ankle-deep through withered leaves. There were Norfolk biffins, squab and swarthy, setting off the yellow of the oranges and lemons and, in the great compactness of their juicy persons, urgently entreating and beseeching to be carried home in paper bags and eaten after dinner. <coughs> then there were the very gold and silver fish set forth among these choice fruits in a bowl, though members of a dull and stagnant-blooded race appeared to know that there was something going on, and to a fish went gasping round and round their little world in slow and passionless excitement. But soon the steeples called good people all to church and chapel, and away they came, flocking through the streets in their best clothes and with their gayest faces. And at the same time, there emerged from scores of by-streets, lanes, and nameless turnings, innumerable people carrying their dinners to the baker's shops. The sight of these poor revelers appeared to interest the spirit very much, for he stood with Scrooge beside him in a baker's doorway, and taking off the covers as their bearers passed, sprinkled incense on their dinners from, their tor from his torch. And it was a very uncommon kind of torch, for once or twice then there were angry words between some dinner carriers who had jostled with each other, who shed a few drops of water on them from it, and their good humor was restored directly, for they said it was a shame to quarrel on Christmas Day, and so it was. God love it, so it was. In time, the bells ceased and the bakers were shut up, and there was a genial shadowing forth of all these dinners and the progress of their cooking and the thawed blotch of wet above each baker's oven, where the pavement smoked as if its stones were cooking too. Is this a peculiar flavor in what you sprinkle from your torch? asked Scrooge. There is. It is my own flavor. <laughs>
Would it apply to any kind of dinner in this day? I asked Scrooge. To any kind given. To a poor one most of all. Why to a poor one most? Asked Scrooge. Because it needs it most. Spirit, said Scrooge after a moment's thought. I wonder you, of all the beings of the many worlds about us, should desire to cramp these people's opportunities of innocent enjoyment. I, cried the spirit, you would deprive them of their means of dining every seventh day, often the only day on which they can be said to dine at all, said Scrooge. Wouldn't you? I, cried the spirit, you seek to close these places on the seventh day, asked Scrooge. And it comes to the same thing. I seek, exclaimed the spirit. Forgive me if I am wrong. It has been done in your name, or at least in that of your family, said Scrooge. There are some upon this earth of yours, returned the spirit, who lay claim to know us, and who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry and selfishness in our name, who are as strong to us and to all our kith and kin as if they had never lived. Remember that and charge their doings on themselves, not us. Scrooge promised that he would. Then they went on invisible, as they had been before, into the suburbs of the town. And perhaps it was a pleasure of the good spirit had it showing off this power of his, or else it was his own kind, generous, hearty nature and his sympathy with all poor men that led him straight to Scrooge's clerks. For there he went and took Scrooge with him, holding to his robe. <coughs> and on the threshold of the door, the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sparklings of his torch. Think of that. Bob had but 15 bob a week himself. He pocketed on Saturdays but 15 copies of his Christian name. And yet the ghost of Christmas present blessed his four-roomed house. Then up rose Mrs. Cratchit, Cratchit's, uh, that is Bob Cratchit's wife, dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown. But brave in ribbons, which are cheap and make a goodly show for sixpence. And she laid the cloth, assisted by Belinda Cratchit, second of his daughters, also brave in ribbons. While Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes and getting the corners of his monstrous shirt collar, Bob's private property confirmed upon his son and heir in honor of this day. brought the potato into his mouth, rejoiced to find himself so gallantly attired, and yearned to show his linen in the fashionable parks. And now two smaller Cratchits, a boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming that outside the bakers they had smelt the goose and known it for their own and basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onion. These young Cratchits danced about the table 
and exalted Master Peter Cratchit to the skies, while Peter, not proud, though his collars nearly choked him, blew the fire until the slow potatoes bubbling up knocked loudly at the saucepan lid to be let out and peeled. What has ever got into your precious father then, said Mrs. Cratchit, and your brother, Tiny Tim, and Martha, weren't at late last Christmas day by half an hour. Tiny? Here's Martha, mother, said a girl, appearing as she spoke. Here's Martha, mother, cried the two young Cratchits. Hurrah! There's such a goose, Martha! Why, bless your heart alive, my dear, how late you are, said Mrs. Cratchit, kissing Martha a dozen times and taking off her shawl and bonnet for her with officious zeal. Oh, that is loud. Ethan dragged the chair across the wooden floor and put it at the children's table. We'd a deal of work to finish up last night, replied Martha, and had to clear away this morning, mother. Well, never mind, so long as you are come, said Mrs. Cratchit. Sit ye down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm. Lord bless ye. No, no, there's father coming cried the two young Cratchits, who were everywhere at once. Hide, Martha, hide! So Martha hid herself, and in came little Bob, the father, with at least three feet of comforter, exclusive of the fringe, hanging down before him, and his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and tiny Tim upon his shoulders, Alas for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. Why, where's our Martha? cried Bob Cratchit, looking around. Not coming, said Mrs. Cratchit. Not coming, said Bob with a sudden declision in his high spirits, for he had been Tim's blood horse all the way from the church and had come home rampant. Not coming upon Christmas Day. Martha didn't like to see him disappointed. <laughs> if it were only in joke. So she came out prematurely from behind the closet door and ran into his arms while the two young Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim and bore him off into the wash house that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper. And how did little Tim behave? asked Mrs. Cratchit when she had rallied Bob on his credulity and Bob had hugged his daughter in his heart's content. Well, let me read that again. And Bob had hugged his daughter Martha to his heart's content. How did Tim behave? As good as gold, said Bob, and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. 
He told me, coming home, that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Bob's voice was tremulous when he told them this and trembled more when he said that Tiny Tim was growing strong and hearty. <coughs> Who's that? Who's that? Tiny Tim. And the cat. And a ball of yarn, it looks like. Is Tiny Tim Is that cat? a vacuum? Really, a vacuum? Let's see here. Where are we? His active little crutch was heard upon the floor, and back came Tiny Tim before another word was spoken, escorted by his brother and sister to his stool beside the fire. And while Bob, turning up his cuffs as if, poor fellow, they were capable of being made more shabby, compounded some hot mixture in a jug with gin and lemons, and stirring it round and round and round and put it in the hob to simmer. Master Peter and the, two Buki- and the two young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a goose the rarest of all birds, a feathered phenomenon, to which a black swan was a matter of course, and in truth, it was something very like it in that house. Mrs. Cratchit made the gravy, ready beforehand in a little saucepan, hissing hot. Master Peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigor. Miss Belinda sweetened up the applesauce and Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table. The two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves, and mounting guard upon their posts, crammed spoons into their mouths, lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped. At last, the dishes were set on, and grace was said. It was succeeded by a breathless pause as Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it into the breast. But when she did, and when the long-expected gush of stuffing issued forth, one murmur of delight arose all round the board, and even Tiny Tim, excited by the two young Cratchits, beat upon the table with the handle of his knife, and feebly cried, (coughs) Hurrah! (coughs) There never was such a goose. Bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavor, size and cheapness, were the themes of universal admiration. Eked out by the applesauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Indeed, As Mrs. Cratchit said, with great delight, surveying one small atom of bone upon the dish, they had ate ate it all at last. Yet, every one 
had had enough, and the youngest Cratchits, in particular, were steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows. But now the plate's being changed by Miss Belinda. Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witness, to take the pudding up and bring it in. Here's Mrs. She's bringing in this pudding. That's a pudding. They bake it in a big round. It has hot, piping hot pudding on the inside. Is it good? Oh, it's amazing. To take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it while they were merry with the goose. A supposition at which the two young Cratchits became outraged and livid. All sorts of horrors were supposed. Hello! A great deal of steam. The pudding was out of the copper. A smell like a washing day. That would be the cloth. A smell like an eating house and a pastry cook's next door to each other. With a laundress next door to that. That was the pudding. Oh my goodness, you cut. This is a snowflake, snowflake that you cut out? I'm not sure where it turns oh out. Oh my goodness, this looks intricate. Look at all this. And it looks like a hundred cuts. Well, I mean, the entire living room is decorated with these snowflakes. And honestly, they look fantastic on the blue walls. And they really set off the Christmas tree. So Lauren, oh my goodness, Lauren, that looks wonderful. But it is so fragile. That's all right. Now brush your teeth good. Brush them good. Yeah, where was I? Okay, hold on, hold tight. That would be the cloths. Let's see, next to each other. Uh, laundress next door. That would be the pudding. In half a minute, Mrs. Cratchit entered, flushed but smiling proudly, with the pudding. Like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quartern of ignited brandy and benighted with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding! Bob Cratchit said, and calmly, too, that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. Mrs. Cratchit said that now the weight was off her mind, she could confess she had had her doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been flat heresy to do so. Any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. At last the dinner was all done. The cloth, the cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, and the fire made up. Speaking of the fire, could you get the fire going, handsome Jack? It doesn't really work. Well, let's see what we can do. Oh, you did it! Bravo, give me five. Give me five. All right, now take your toothbrush and put it away. Can we watch the recording? Not until we're done. Then we'll watch the recording together. All right? Now, are you done brushing your teeth? Yeah. Good. Go put your toothbrush away. All right, where was I? 
At last, the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, the fire made up, the compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect. Apples and oranges were put upon the table and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth in what Bob Cratchit called the circle, meaning half a one. And at Bob Cratchit's elbow stood the family display of glass, two tumblers and a custard cup without a handle. These held the hot stuff from the jug, however, as well as golden goblets would have done. And Bob served it out with beaming looks while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and crackled noisily. Then Bob proposed a toast. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. Which all the family re-echoed. Oh, another... Ooh. Oh, Lauren, this might be... Oh, yes. Quite a lovely one. Are you going to tape that snowflake to the wall as well tonight? No? What are you going to do? Keep it. Keep it? I'm going to tape it. You're not going to tape it? Oh, okay. We could use one more right there on that side over by the tree. On the mantle. I'm just saying. Yep, it's a little naked right over there. Oh, sorry. I won't say that again. That was a bit scandalous. Uh, All right. Bob Cratchit proposed a toast. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. Which all the family re-echoed. God bless us, everyone, said Tiny Tim, the last of all. He sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Not a toy. Ever. You just stop. I... Uh, you want to go to bed? No. Yes. No. Well, why are you back there? That doesn't matter. Leave her alone. That doesn't matter. Leave her alone. She wants to be behind the Christmas tree, so be it. When it's time, yes. Who blew out the candles? Oh, rats. I'll light them and have you blow them out again. Put your toothbrush away. Can I blow one of the candles out? I'll pray about it. Both, you're going to blow out both the candles? All right. Well, obey me and put your toothbrush away. Now, let's see. He sat very close. Tiny Tim sat very close to his father's side. Upon his little stool, Bob held his withered hand in his, as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side and dreaded that Tiny Tim might be taken away from him. Spirit, said Scrooge with an interest he had never felt before. Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost, in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, said Scrooge. Oh, no, kind spirit. Say he will be spared. 
If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race, returned the ghost, will find Tiny Tim here. What then, if he be like to die, he'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit and was overcome with penitence and grief. Man, said the ghost, if man you be in heart, not adamant, forbear what that wickedness can't until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Oh God, to hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing on the too much life among his hungry brothers in the dust. Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground, but he raised them speedily on hearing his own name. (coughs) Mr. Scrooge, said Bob. I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast indeed, cried Mrs. Cratchit, reddening. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, said Bob, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I am sure, said she, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, was Bob's mild answer, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the day's sake, said Mrs. Cratchit. Not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. Oh, why don't you get it for me? Get it down for me and bring it here, and I'll light it up for you. The children drank the toast after her. It was the first of their proceedings, which had no heartiness in it. Tiny Tim drank it last of all, but he didn't care two pence for it. Scrooge was the ogre of the family. The mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for full five minutes. After it had passed away, there were ten ti- they were ten times merrier than before, from the mere relief of Scrooge, the baleful, being done with. Bob Cratchit told them how he had a situation in his eye for Master Peter, which would bring in, if obtained, full five and sixpence weekly. The two young Cratchits laughed tremendously at the idea of Peter's being a man of business, and Peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars, as if he were deliberating what particular investment... Yes, yes, yes. You pushed it up against the fire, didn't you? You're not supposed to. No one is. What's that? Oh, that's wax. Who spilled the wax? Ethan did? Oh, that's wax, Jack. I was trying. Dad, I was doing that because you said... Ah, so you spilled hot wax all over the footstool. Now it's all green. No, it's on me. Is it on you, Jack? Oh, that's too bad. 
Well, that's quite dangerous. It could have burned you terribly, Jack and Ethan. I'm glad that you're not burnt. But do not pick at it. Leave it be for a while. Leave it be. It's time to throw that footstool away, I suppose. Now listen up. Listen up. It's okay. And now I'm going to finish this story. And I don't want to talk about it right now, okay? We can talk about it later. Listen to me. What do you all say? All of you. Dad, can I tell you something? Ugh. Make it quick. I need to throw. I'm sad I need to throw my favorite jammies in the garbage because I spilled it and because I accidentally spilled the wax on my favorite jammies. Let me see. Oh, it's okay. We'll wash it out, okay? But we'll have to throw that away. These will wash out and it'll be okay, all right? So you don't have to be sad. Your favorite jammies. Sometimes you can pick it off. Well, don't pick it off right now. You'll make a mess on the floor. Don't pick it off right now. You'll make a mess on the floor, okay? Now, leave it alone. Don't touch it, Jack. If I have to tell you that again, because that's the second time I've told you, then you'll go to bed immediately. Ella, don't touch it. If you have to tell you again, you'll go to bed immediately. But, Dad, can I tell you one more thing? Uh, All right, this is the last thing, Mr. Talker. Go on. Yeah, that's it, the wax on your on your PJs. It, Lauren, can you not do that? Not even burning hot. Not even burning hot. It's not burning hot right now? That's because yeah. it cooled down when you spilled it all over you your clothes. Buddy. All right, what? So we're driving in the car, Grandma said, this is when I was at her house, and she said, well, we were talking about the play, and she was like, Mary would say, and I was like, what would Mary say? And I was like, I like ice cream. And she was like, no, Mary wouldn't say I like ice cream. And I was like, yeah, I know. Oh, okay. All right, now I'm going to read. Where was I? Uh, Let's see. And Peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars as if he were deliberating what particular investments he should favor when he came into the receipt of that bewildering income. Martha, who was a poor apprentice at a milliner's, then told them what kind of work she had to do and how many hours she worked at a stretch and how she meant to lie abed tomorrow morning for a good long rest. Tomorrow being a holiday, she passed at home. Also, how she had seen a countess and a lord some days before and how the lord was much about as tall as Peter, at which Peter pulled up his collar so high that you couldn't have seen his head if you had been there. (coughs) All this time the chestnuts and the jug went round and round, and by and by they had a song about a lost child traveling in the snow from Tiny Tim, who had a plaintive little voice and sang it very well indeed. There was nothing of high mark in this, They were not a handsome family. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty, and Peter might have known, and very likely did, the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when they faded and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the Spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the last.
By this time it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily. And as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens, parlors, and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. Here the flickering of the blaze showed preparations for a cozy dinner with hot plates baking through and through before the fire and deep red curtains ready for the dawn, draw, ready to be drawn to shut out cold and darkness. There the children of the house were running out into the snow to meet their married sisters, brothers, cousins, uncles, aunts and be the first to greet them. Here again were shadows on the window blind of guests assembling and there a group of handsome girls all hooded and fur booted and all chattering at once tripped lightly off to some near neighbor's household, where, upon the single man who stood near them, artful witches, they knew it, in a glow. Uh, I don't understand that. Too many semicolons and dashes. All right, all right, all right. There, now we've read some. Now let's light this up so you can blow it out again. Bring me the candle. Bring me the candle. You touched it again. You just touched it again. It's not. Yeah, I told you not to touch it again. I said you would go to bed if you touched it again. You have now touched it again, which means what? I have to go to bed, but Ella touched it again. Ella, go get your PJs on. I touched it too. I'm going to go to bed. Go get your PJs on. And so did Ethan. I don't believe it. He did. No, Ethan never does anything wrong. He does, he That's not true. How, what about how many fart jokes he told today? He did tell a lot of fart jokes today. And he tooted an awful lot, too, didn't you? Didn't yeah. You? Did you get in trouble for the fart jokes? What? Yeah. Are you sorry about the fart jokes? No. And why are you grinning? <laughs> All right, never mind about the fart jokes. Ethan is now going to blow out the candle. Go. Not your birthday. Good job, Ethan. Like the candles again, I want to blow away. Nope. I told you to get your PJs on. Obey. Please, Dad. Ask what you know. Ask your anger. I was just scraping out glasses. Wait, but Dad, I wasn't focusing. Whoa! What is a glass candle? PJs. Yeah, I'm sorry, Tiny. I told Ethan to get the candle down because I told him he got to blow it out and you had blown it out. So he got it down and the wax wasn't completely dried. So he spilled wax all over this. Do not touch that, Ethan. Stand up, Ethan. Go to bed, Ethan. Yes, and all over the mantle. Another eventful day. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you.